We are Victim of Illusion, you are listening to the tall, friendly, Atheist Dead podcast. And the next 30 seconds are brought to you by our album Invisible Light, available at our Bandcamp website. My name is Damien, the host of the Tall Friendly Atheist Ad Podcast. Wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, and whatever you happen to be doing as you listen to this, I hope you're well. It is a pleasure to have with me today, NJ from the Feasibilian Project. NJ, how are you? I'm well, thank you, uh, Damien. And I wanted to start by saying that uh, my purpose in this talk today is to help others to embrace uh, atheism if they're struggling with it mm -hmm. and to explore the truth and um, basically just um, be who you are and if you are bound by the chains of, of theism or religion it's okay to question it and mm -hmm. i'm yep. here to help anybody who would like to have help excellent excellent so, so you mentioned uh, the feasibility project Yes. So the Feasibility Project kind of started a few years ago when I became, I guess, a full-fledged atheist and um, put myself in a situation where I wanted to be more vocal, but yep. I wanted a some sort of platform. And so I decided to uh, make a, a profile for myself on Twitter and other social media channels that reflected what I was trying to do. And I wanted to choose a name that was different. Uh, I see all those these other names of uh, profiles out there, like the uh, have uh, like um, cosmic and oh, secular yeah. and humanist and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they're they're a great combination of names out there. And I wanted to do something unique, so I wanted to use the word feasible in relation to skepticism, logic, rationality and reason and use that as a uh, part of my platform so it became the feasibilian project and what a feasibilian is is basically i don't do anything uh think and believe anything unless it makes feasible sense and feasibility yep. seems to me like it's just the word to go with so i went with it and called myself a feasibilian and okay. I hope to have more feasibilians follow me. No worries. Well, I, I will call myself a feasibilian and I've already followed you. So that's uh, that's good stuff. Um, well, firstly, I think the big question is, how, how did you get to where you are now? Right. So that's is, a great is, question. Is a big question. Now, however far, however far back you need to go, because I, I would be very interested in hearing your story. I, now, my understanding is that you were you were a Catholic. Yes. No, because most of the most of the people I speak to were ex-evangelicals, so, so I will I will say you are the first ex-Catholic I've had on the podcast. So NJ, please tell me tell, tell me background growing up, how religious your household was, when you first accepted, when you first uh, had questions, what made you, what tipped the balance, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got about right. an hour, so let's just let's just chat away and get uh, get into. What, what you were and what you are now and what you hope to achieve. Great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. So, so f from the beginning, I was born into a Catholic, Roman Catholic family mm -hmm. uh, in a small town in the Midwest United States. Yep. And my, my family all came from Roman Catholic background. And as we all know, it's a very old religion. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and they'll claim lots of different things about how the religion got started, why it's valid, things like that. Yep. And I was put into Catholic grade school at the age of five and spent uh, eight years uh, being schooled in the Catholic religion okay. along with, you know, the regular school subjects that one has. But uh, we were, my siblings and I were all in Catholic school and it was really orchestrated by my mother because she was a devout Catholic as well and came from a Bohemian Czech Republic and then German and Irish background for well, her like, yeah, ancestors. Yeah. Yep. Now, if I could, if I could ask, what does devout Catholic mean in your language? Right. So my mother kind of portrayed the, the devout Catholic where you would follow a certain set of rules. Okay. And those rules were always very questionable. And it depended on who you talked to. Um, different priests and pastors and leaders of the church all had different rules, but it all Indeed. rolled up back up to the Pope in the Vatican. So, so in the Vatican, you, also, could you give me some examples of as, sure. of what devout meant, meant to you, as compared sure. as compared to your, I suppose, nominally religious friends, and then from there compared to your secular friends. Right. So devout meant to us going to church regularly every Sunday. Yep. Following all the rules of the, <clears throat> excuse me, sacraments of yep. the Catholic Church, uh, being baptized, having Holy Communion going to uh, first confession and then having regular confessions, yep. uh, going and getting confirmed when we're of age of, re of reason or age of consent. Yes. And then having all the rest of the sacraments, like the, the a marriage was a sacrament, yep. uh, anointing of the sick and uh, priesthood and ordination were all sacraments that you received and following all of the liturgy and all of the rules of the Catholic Church, which were praying to the saints and yep. martyrs that were deceased, um, uh, going praying in intercessory prayer through the uh, mythical beings of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. praying through Mary and Joseph and uh, Jesus too, because you couldn't pray directly to God. So that's what devout Catholic meant to me could, yep. in my family, and being part of the Church, holy. You know, doing things that uh, pleased God, in, in my mother's words, and being in the choir, church choir, uh, uh, helping uh, church dinners and bake on Sundays, yep. and being very much a part of the community, the, the church community. Yeah, I was going to say that seemed to be yeah, that part of the church community is, uh, I suppose, community, but under the headship and under the authoritarian uh, aspect of the of the local priest. Right. Uh, I, if I could ask, uh, you're praying to the, praying to the saints. H how did that, how did that feel? Like, uh, I suppose looking back now, it does seem like a, it does seem like a weird thing, but as a younger person, how did you feel about praying to certain dead people? Uh, to me, it felt like a chore because yeah. if you wanted to do anything and you had this very strict set of rules to be able to have anything done, my mother would tell me to pray to the saints. If, if you've ever heard someone say that if you lost your car keys, you could pray to St. Anthony to get them back. Yes. Yep. And then eventually you'd find your car keys. So it was St. Anthony that helped you find them. Yep. Or if you like, there were patron saints of specific things mm -hmm. Yep. and we were always named in our family after saints. Cause if you were a Catholic, then your children, it, it was traditional to name you after a saint's name. Yes. So I'm not going to tell you my real name. No, but that's, that's, that's <laughs> But uh, that's that's kind of the the rule set, and I and I got to be familiar with with these rules. And then there was also the Catholic Catechism, which is a huge book of yes. rules and <laughs> yep, yep. study that you have to go through. And I don't think anybody could ever. Oh. Uh, I guess follow every single Catholic rule to the T because you would be waste. You <laughs> now I think wasting, but you would be spending your entire life trying to live up to those standards, which are impossible standards. Fair enough. That's I suppose uh, just to lead on to the next question. What do you think makes them impossible? 
I guess uh, just all the interpretation and the rules and things that you're supposed to do, uh, you know, visiting the church on holy days, um, yep. uh, doing all of the things through the Catholic Church, the goodwill things, the missionary work, um, uh, you know, uh, not, not so much preaching or proselytizing or converting people, but yep. uh, wherever you go, not be afraid to say that you that you have faith in Jesus and God and you, you're not ashamed to be a Catholic. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And so basically spending all your time in school, I mean, as part of school, we went to mass during the week as it was a, it was a class during, during the week. So we went several times a week in addition to going on Sundays to make sure we were extra holy. Wow. Extra holy. <laughs> right. Well, when, when you put it like that, it makes it sound, sound so much fun. Well, yeah, if, I, I, sorry, you first. Yeah, I will say that there are things that were fun. I mean, it was basically if we weren't uh, doing things that were so boring and I guess a chore to do because I found it uh, to be a chore to be a Catholic. And but you know, you make friends like just any other school you go to, yep. and if you're not talking about Catholic religion, you're just being normal and friends. And yep. you know, I made lifelong friends when I was in school. I mean, I spent eight years of my life with these kids, mm -hmm. and it was a small class. And we, you know, I've, at times I felt very comfortable with them, and but we had a lot of strict and abusive nuns and priests who, throughout the years, um, we just thought it was normal and we didn't question it. Now that is uh, that may be a topic we'll get into shortly, uh, the 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 abuse side of it. Mm. Uh, so when did you? I suppose actually. So the question I was going to ask you before was, did you see a difference between Catholicism and normal Christianity, normal Protestant Christianity? Was, was there a divide? Right. In, was there a divide in your household uh, regarding that? And did you have any friends, or did you know anyone who held that divide against you? Like maybe, maybe let's say, maybe let's say, like an ev a Protestant evangelical. Did you right. know of any? Did you know of any uh, Protestant evangelicals who would call you guys demon worshippers because of your catechisms and prayers to the saints and to the martyrs and things like that? Yeah, so we, I come from a small town, so we didn't really have any evangelicals that I know of. Okay. I've heard I heard through my friends that different Protestant Christian um, denominations yep. were going around and pre and preaching and proselytizing, and na namely one of those were Bible Baptists. We I had a yeah. Uh, yeah, the church was Bible Baptist, and we we knew of people that were walking around town, and the first question they they walk up to your door and they'd ask you, "Do you want to be saved?" That was the first <laughs> okay. question they always asked you when you they knocked on the door and you actually open the door to them or they'd walk up to you in your yard and they would say do you want to be saved and then it was like an open question like well what do you mean or yep. uh, and my friends would always say they they would they know who they were they would just be um they would they would tease them and say no i don't want to be saved <laughs> and then they walk away <laughs> yeah, yeah no fair because i came from a a protestant uh protestant background i spent Probably about uh, as as a as a proper fundamentalist, I'd probably say about six years as mm -hmm. a, as a proper fundamentalist. And in my view, Catholics were tolerated, but mm -hmm. they weren't really. How can I say? Like, sure, they were saved and they were going to heaven, but they weren't really uh, God's people. They were, right. you know, because they because they prayed to the saints and because they did all this extra stuff and they had all these. They had all these extra teachings that weren't in the Bible. And, well, firstly, they had extra books in the Bible compared mm -hmm. to what the Protestant canon was. And so then uh, yeah, that became a cudgel to you know, smack them over the head with because then, hey, why are you guys, uh, I suppose, again, it comes down to like, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ uh, who's died for your sins, but you've got all this extra stuff that you don't need. Um, mm. So you're not really you're not walking with God like we're walking with God, and so I do find it interesting uh, talking to ex-Catholics that, uh, yeah, this this Protestant uh, this Protestant Catholic divide, in some cases it was it's a non-issue, but in some cases some people really did make an issue out of it, and I'm just curious in in your perspective uh, in in Australia, 
uh, as you can tell from my accent, I, um, I'm, I'm Australian. Uh, in in Australia, we did have a sectarian divide up until probably the 1970s, mm-hmm. where and I think just from there, when society started to open up and we, um, how can I say, yeah, we just became a lot more egalitarian. Like we've always been sort of egalitarian, but I know, especially in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, in the period cooling off from the First and Second World Wars, there was mm-hmm. still this whole thing about, well, hold on, you're a Catholic and you're a Protestant and I'm going to treat you different because you're a Methodist or you could be a Baptist or you could be a... you could, or, And, like, you couldn't get married in someone else's church or you had to have special right. permission to marry in someone else's church and uh, right. stuff like that. But I think now, now that, uh, firstly, the rise of churches like Hillsong's... Mm-hmm has kind of uh, started to end the, the how can I say, yeah, the, the sectarian divide and also the diminishing influence of the churches in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my perspective, what you could make a case that because firstly uh, Hillsong being non- non-denominational and being so influential and powerful has kind of forced the churches to come together and forget what those divides are. So mm-hmm. really, so really, they become like hamburger joints that sell the same product just with different flavors. Right, right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but as far as from my perspective, I, you know, definitely the U.S. is a split country in many different ways. Yes, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of that. Yeah, that we have so many denominations. It's it's unbelievable. Um, from Pentecostal to Evangelical to Appalachian uh, Snake Christian Hands. Protestant, all kinds of flavors of Christian Protestant mm, yeah. and Catholic, and any other. Then uh, we even, you know, we have many Muslims too. Yes, <clears throat> but they and those numbers are increasing. But then we also have increasing numbers of secular mm-hmm. and atheism as well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I I'm very pleased to see that that it is is now finally taking hold after all these years but you know there's different parts of the country and i don't mean i'm not an expert by any means but uh down south and yep. in the uh the texas area and yep. atlanta and uh georgia and uh, alabama and all the southern states you know there's a bible belt yes. and yep. they're very um christian you know that there could be could be lots of different flavors of christianity in my small town, uh, the big, I guess, four were Methodist, uh, which and also Midwest Lutheran was big. Oh, Lutheran yes. was yep. huge, yep. and also Catholic, and then, um, the, like I said, the Bible Baptist. Uh, so I ba- was ba- basically a sheltered child in how I grew up, and being on a small uh, farm with a large Catholic family, mm-hmm. and being in a small community, uh, we, we really didn't know much more than that, and I didn't question anything until I got much older. But it was a, definitely a progression over the years, and um, it was a very slow, painful process to get reprogrammed and in, unindoctrinated from all the indoctrination that I got. And my mother made every excuse in the book. You know all these very old, tired apologist arguments. Uh, yes. circular reasoning, yeah. every single fallacy you could think of, she pulled them all out. Okay. And I believed every word of it because I was a child. And, yep. you know, you trust your parents oh, and your leaders and church leaders. That was unfortunate. So, I mean, I just think now back at my age, how much time I wasted believing all that stuff, mm-hmm. praying inside, you know, talking inside my head, thinking it was going somewhere. Yep. And doing some good and, you know, believing all of the stuff that goes along with the Catholic Church, which is, it goes very, very deep. It does. It does indeed. Which leads me to the question, when when did you start questioning? I when, started when, questioning. When, when, when and why? When, when and why did you start questioning? Right. So it wasn't until I was much older and I was married in the Catholic Church. And, yeah. and the reason why I stayed so long is because I didn't want to hurt my mother. Uh, my okay. mother was a very kind woman. And I mm-hmm. that's why I trusted her so much. She was a very yep. good mother. And she, uh, I didn't want to hurt her. And I knew that if she knew that I had fallen away from what they call fallen away from the Catholic Church, 
they 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 had all kinds of excuses you know uh the devil's working through you uh and you know trying to pull you away from the catholic church and 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 uh all these ridiculous myths and theories that then nobody could ever back up yep but my mother made excuses uh, i said i questioned her when i was seven eight years old and and not because i wanted to i wanted to uh you know uh break away from the catholic church i just wanted answers i i trusted her so i thought she was going to give me good answers so i would ask her things like uh why why are you catholic or why are we catholic you know what what's what makes catholic correct in in relation to all of the religions and she said well it's the oldest religion out there it's it's it was started by jesus christ himself (laughs) and i I thought wow i'm really special (laughs) yep and Sorry, Boy, so, you know, sorry, I better sorry, take start, this seriously. <laughs> so, sorry to start laughing, just like the, the, no, those, okay. those claims. It's <laughs> I know, but for a seven-year-old, they, yep. they, I was just like, I was wowed by that. But now it's just so it, but she believed it yep. too. Yep. And and you don't ever question your faith. It's one of those cognitive dissonance things where yep. you don't question it because it's so sacred to you. And it's so sacred to so many other people. So how could it be wrong? So many people believe in it. Yeah. It's the oldest religion. And I said, well, I, I heard that, you know, the Catholic Inquisition and the Crusades are, were um, a lot of bad people killed other people. That And I was just sincerely questioning it. You know, I didn't want to, I wasn't trying to challenge her. Mm-hmm. And she didn't take it personally. Okay. And uh, I said, uh, so what about all those people that represented the Catholic Church? And, and I was pretty precocious for a seven-year-old <laughs> asking all these questions. And she said, well, just because there are some bad apples in, in, a, in a barrel doesn't mean the whole batch is bad. And <laughs> so she defended her, her faith right up until the end. And nothing meant more to her than to give her life to, to God through the Catholic Church. Okay. So in a way, and this is, I think this is true of most uh, theists uh, in general, is that the theology is tied to the personal, to your personal identity. So yeah. that if there were, if there were any challenge to your theology, it's also a, it's also a challenge to you as a person. Mm-hmm. And this may be why this is. Uh, that's where, from my perspective, is this is why a lot of Christians and uh, Christians and theists and Muslims and and all that have a hard time accepting that they might be wrong, because if they're wrong about their theology, then it's almost like telling them that their their parents aren't their parents. It's, it's almost like telling them that they that they're orphans and they were adopted. Right. Is and so yeah, I feel uh, I kind of get where you, where you're coming from in that. Um, I was lucky myself in that my parents were were like they weren't even Christian. They 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 weren't hostile to religion. It's just that you know they weren't necessarily Christian themselves. And so mm-hmm. I I personally was a teenage a, teen, a late teenage convert. And for me, living in the faith gave me hope and peace and love, and I had this feeling that you know whatever happened, there was uh, someone looking after me and stuff like that. And I was trying to think. Yeah, and I I also married in my in my church as well. So I met my wife in my fundamentalist church, and we got married. Um, our pastor, our fundamentalist church pastor, married us, and his name is on our birth certificate, and. Yeah, so I I'm kind of with you there. Um, I suppose just for me, I didn't have that. I didn't have that. What well, I didn't have that familial tug until I got married, and then mm-hmm. uh, that's probably one reason what made it hard for me to question was that. Well, hold on, you know, if I if I come out and say I'm an you know, I'm an atheist, then hold on, I've got all this, uh, you know, and the fact that my uh, my like my wife still believes, so she's I probably say she's more nominal. Um, but my two sisters-in-law, they, they, well, one of them works as a missionary in Singapore, and oh. the other one actually does like bookkeeping and accounting for for her church. <laughs> so, so yeah, is, so, so, so they're, they're they're both neck deep, and then right. yeah, my my in-laws, and so my in-laws always knew me as a, as a, as a Christian. And I think one of the other one of the other factors was that I'm in a cross-cultural marriage. 
and okay. so there is there is kind of that the that kind of tug as well that do, does make it a little bit hard. So um, yeah, but tell me tell me what when did you first uh, seriously question what was that what was the thing mm-hmm. that made you go hmm yeah. So as I was aging and going to college, I guess my maybe my first taste of actually questioning it and. Um, because I was always afraid as a child to question it because we were always taught not to question it because doubt meant the devil was working through you or, yeah. or a demon. Yes. And I was afraid of that. I was, it, it, that terrified me. I did, yes. So I didn't question it until I was actually in the age of reason. And when you start developing a brain and thinking for yourself, yeah. and I was in college and I, I was in, uh, my major was psychology and sociology, so yep. two majors. Um, and when I was, uh, and that was really eye-opening for me because I got to understand different aspects of psychology. Yep. How does a person think? Why did they think that they do? It fascinated me. And and then I started to understand brain chemicals and what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And your environment plays a big factor in that. And you know, I just started piecing things together and it's like all of a sudden this light bulb went off in my head. And then in my sociology major, I had this religion and society class. Oh boy. That was <laughs> that was the biggest eye opener right there. Okay, yep, yep. Because I was looking at things from the outside, from out uh, from not without the Catholic lens. That's actually from good, my, that's, that's, that's actually, actually a very good way of putting it. The Catholic lens, or I should say, in, in my perspective, the Christian lens, the the, the fundamentalist yes. lens. Correct. And Catholic is, is just as much a fundamentalist religion. Yep. Than any any fundamentalist you can think of. Um, and so I started looking at it from a different perspective and put it into the perspective of other religions. You know, all the other major religions: Hindu, Buddhism. Uh, you know, Judaism and all the the major religions and all. And then I started studying all of the Christian Protestant religions and yep. and denominations and all the rest of this stuff. And and I thought, wow, what a split. I mean, uh, religion is anything but universal. And what does Catholic mean? At the very core of the Catholic uh, word, it's called it's the universal church it stands for universal church yes well catholic is anything but universal it's you think the way we think or or, or not at all because <laughs> everybody else is wrong and, and so and what a contradiction some, in terms i was going to say in, in some cases uh, they got burnt at the stake right so it's so, either, so it's either you you agree with our doctrine or yeah, so say, say 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 goodbye to your breath you know correct Right. You can say goodbye to your your eternity, mm-hmm. a happy, uh, everlasting life yep. in heaven. You can say goodbye to your family because they will probably disown you. Uh, my my family never really came right out and said anything against anybody else because they were, you know. But it is a very judgmental religion, and you know, generally speaking. But my mother was not tried not to be a judgmental person. Okay, that's and my dad, my, my dad didn't care either way. He just didn't talk about it. So if I read read it correctly, it was actually your mum that was your driving force to stay in the in the religion. Yeah, okay. definitely. And right. and then in addition to all of the community that were her friends and family, all of our relatives went to the same church too. Oh, so yep. there was an expectation that. If you weren't at church, there must be something wrong. And also the priests were very much, uh, and nuns and and all of the clergy associated with the school. The school that I went to was right next to the church that I went to. Yes, so yep, it was very, all very cool. one big community. So you really So it was to, all very self reinforcing. Indeed. So you kinda had to, you kinda had to go to college to uh, get your head out of the bubble and Mm-hmm. It's a little bit weird from from my international perspective because uh, Australia, even though we do have a, uh, a Christian heritage, and this may this may actually surprise you, uh, Australia's head of state is also the head of the Anglican Church. Hmm. So, strictly speaking, there is no church-state separation. Oh, that's not good. 
Well, this is this is the this is where it's going to get a little bit weirder. Um, in Australia, we don't really care about like, especially nowadays, we don't really care about religion. It's just it's just a really weird thing okay. where our head, where our head of state literally has her own church, but. Um, especially in England, but also in Australia as well. The um, if you are a Christian, you are more expected to be. Well, partly, like the way we expect you to carry on religion is that like soft-spoken, quiet, non-judgmental. Uh, basically, the opposite of, of a fundamentalist. Okay, is the I guess is, that's a little better then. <laughs> it is. Well, I, look, I, I would say it is, and this is a this, this is one of this is one of the reasons why I love having American friends. Is that hey, we have gun control, we have minimum wage, we have uh, government sponsored health healthcare, we have <laughs> we have no church state separation. It's it's just all these all these things that Americans think will destroy society, but. Yeah, right. just just look a little bit down south, and you'll realize that hey, it's, we we we, oh, we, yeah. we we do pretty good. We do pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure you do. It's just that we have so many paranoid people here, especially yeah. right right wing politicians and people who believe extreme right wing values. They well, tie everything with Christianity and yeah. you know politics, and it gets very messy. And well, um, so we have a lot of very messed up thinking. Indeed, indeed. I was, I was. Uh, I think this is a topic I covered once. Um, I think in episode twenty with uh, Prophet of Zod, where we where we were. We did briefly discuss the the right wing, uh, the the fundamentalist influence on American politics, which seems to be part of the the fourth great awakening of of the of, of the Protestants, in that it's now become a lot more about parachurch organisations, uh, non denominationalism, but with a very strong uh, with a very strong political focus, and I think that's uh, that is very very interesting. Um, in in Australia, we. There, there have been like how can I say like the far right, uh, the far right religious politicians are few and far between. There's not okay. that. There's not that many. Like you, you do get a, a number of centre right polit- uh, religious politicians, but the very, very far, very far right, very, 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 very few. Uh, there was a so. Um, so I was just trying to get my get my words together. Uh, we do have like every election. We do have like a, a party that goes by the name of like Australian Christian Party or uh, Jesus for Australia or or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. probably about 10, 15 years ago, there was a party called Rise Up Australia, which was headed by a right wing uh, firebrand preacher that okay. did hold the uh, the national attention for a while. But then, uh, when they realised that nobody liked them, they, they quickly they, they quickly faded out of, out of obscurity. So just listening to people talk about the um, yeah the, the far right influence, it's it, like I, I understand it, but it's just because I because I haven't lived it, I I don't really don't really know. It's, it is just, it is just interesting. So anyway, tell me more about your your deconversion. So you you got married as a Catholic. So you went to university as a Catholic. You studied psychology, and mm-hmm. you kind of uh, realize, hold on, all these principles I'm learning in psychology are the factors that are keeping me in the faith, basically. Right. So then I understood um, indoctrination finally, yep. and how, looking from the outside, how much reinforcement and repetition that I've had over the years as a child yep. and how any child from any religion, religious background and ethnicity and uh, whatever part of the world they're in could happen the same way. Oh, indeed. Indeed. That's... And then, uh, you know, it's just a, a basically a very naive person becoming less naive and more mature and starting to think for themselves. And it was just, again, it's a very slow, painful process of coming out of that. But I would not have called myself an atheist by any means by that by that time I was still fairly fairly young. Yep. And my wife also came from a very uh, Roman bath, Catholic uh, background, not far from where I grew up. Okay. Yep. And we happened to meet in the same city where we were both going to college. Okay. And I found out about her background and how her ancestors were also devout Catholics with all those rules and probably even more so than than my family. Okay. And she 
had a lot of hard times growing up in that. And I'm not going to go into much detail about That's what right. she went through, but it was similar in the abuse stuff and, okay. you know, emotional, psychological abuse mostly. And um, just being a part of a family that treated her bad. Um, yeah, her I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. Grandparents and relatives and stuff where she um, was treated bad and because she wanted to to think differently she was always thinking differently even from a, a very young age mm -hmm. and they would squash that thinking down and you know uh, shame her for it and um, basically tell her all those you know very, very bad divisive things like yeah. uh, the, the devil's working through you and things like that so she also had similar experiences but uh, for me, after I got married, I was about 20, 29, 30 years old. And then um, I started, <clears throat> I got all my, my first kids, I, I have six children. So the first three or four, let's see, four children got baptized. And it was because my parents were still alive and yep. they were aging, but they were still alive. And I didn't want to, to reveal to anybody that I had any doubts, but I did. And I was starting to question, but I didn't, again, I didn't want to hurt my mother. And so we went through the sacraments and my oldest children, when they were young, I got them into uh, first communion. And uh, so they were familiar with the get, taking the Eucharist at mass and, yeah. and stuff and, and all that kind of stuff where um, saying confessions and going through all the, the usual things. I didn't put them into Catholic school though. Okay. okay all right. Uh, I was going to ask, is, is Catholic education markedly different from public education where you are? Like, is there is there a noticeable difference between... As far as the general curriculum, no. It's okay. very similar to the public education. They okay, don't, yep. like, close themselves off so much oh, that, okay, yep. you know, you're in, like, a cult or anything. Okay, by, yep. I mean, you could consider it a cult, but... There, I today I consider it a cult, but yeah. <laughs> the as far as the school curriculum, they have to follow specific things that the state school boards mandates, uh, you know, um, set out for them to do. You yeah. know, basic education, so they can get into um, you know uh, a higher education, secondary yeah. school, and then uh, be able to think on their feet <laughs> in college, at least a little bit. Yep. Yeah. But it's, you know, very much uh, the Catholic religion is infused into everything that they do. And yes, the, yeah. the beliefs are there. The, the beliefs are reinforced. And I can get into, like, some very specific beliefs that, you know, today mm -hmm. are just mm -hmm. completely ludicrous. That, sure, sure. No, and I'm sure you probably know of a few. No, go for it. Like what, so what are they teaching in Catholic schools that now sounds uh, ludicrous? Well, it's the Catholic Church. Plus, the, in the Catholic school and what they teach in the Eucharist is that the the bread and wine are literally ah, yeah, uh, the body and blood of yep. Jesus Christ Himself, so this and still, this, it so, is called sorry, it's called transubstantiation. Yeah, so so I was going to ask, like, so they are actually still teaching that? Oh yeah. Okay, because I read somewhere. Um, from what I thought was an authoritative Catholic source, that no, that that's that's outdated. That's uh, yeah, that's that's old hat. You know, we we we're not doing that. That's that's ridiculous. Don't be silly. And yeah, now, that's be wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe in some maybe in some areas, but well, okay, where I am on. in the Midwest, they I sure they still teach it because I was just at a funeral a few months ago, yeah, and I it was because of a, a relative of mine died and I went out of respect for the family. But when the priest was giving the funeral, when the time for communion came around, he basically said he knew that people from different like faiths were there or people of no faith at all. And he basically pointed out, he was very specific about it and said, if you do not believe that this is the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, please do not come up to receive communion. Wow. <laughs> so That's... it's very much alive where I'm living. Like, okay. <laughs> as That's, far as uh, that. That is, that is interesting. So what, what was the tipping point? Like, when did you realize that you were no longer a believer? 
that I was no longer a believer. Well, that was much later. And yeah, okay. I'm not young anymore. I'm 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 over middle age now. And okay. you're, you're it mature. took yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I've been through a lot in life and the um I would say that I guess the big cutoff or the big cathartic moment, mm -hmm. uh, yep. one of them was when my father died. So that was in the year 2000. It was 21 years ago. Yep. And I really, really started to question everything at that point. Because, you you know, your father dying is, is very, I'm sure if you were close to your father, yeah, yep, that so it's a very yep. traumatic experience. It is indeed. And it is indeed makes you question it you know i was going through an existential crisis of sorts and i questioned everything and mm -hmm. just really had a reflective moment and i'll remember it for the rest of my life as being that like pivotal moment of you know is this really worth continuing you know i by that time when i was going i was still going to church mm -hmm. but it was i was so it was going through, i was so uh, painful going through the motions it was excruciating for me to stand in a church and go through a mass and say the liturgy and just repeat the mantras over and over and over again and receive communion and not really believe it. And I thought, wow, what a fraud I am. Mm. I'm just a fraud and a fake and God's going to know it and I'm going to be punished. <laughs> and I was going through all these, you know, conflicts in my brain. It was so painful. But I thought, well, I can't if I'm sincere. You know, who can blame me if I just want the truth? I want to be sincere in the truth, regardless of what happens, and take that chance. Can God really blame me? But I actually, I was taught that he can <laughs> blame you. <laughs> and if you yeah. do anything outside of the Catholic Church, that you would be damned to hell, you know? Yep. And, and so um, I still was afraid, but I was getting there. And that was a pivotal moment. And then it was many years later that I guess I would say I was completely cut off. And I, and I finally had the courage to say I'm done when my mother died, which was six okay. years ago. All right. Wow. All right. Um, how was your wife at this stage? Like, was, was and is she still a believer? Yeah, great question. So we've been through a lot of battles because I didn't want to let go of the Catholic really? Church. Okay. And she had had enough and she was really bitter about the Catholic Church. And she okay. basically was angry at all of the things that she was taught and all the people that betrayed her. And I wanted to still believe and I made every excuse to at some point, but I, it was a process over the years of us trying to just work it out and okay. talk it out and say, we really don't like, we just one day kind of said, yeah, we really don't believe neither one of us do, okay. but we we're just too afraid to admit it, you know, or say it out loud. Yep. But you then now we talk regularly today okay. of Love how atheists we both are. I'm I'm glad to I'm I'm glad to hear that I'm glad to hear that because uh, my my personal story being a um, I hid my atheism for quite a while I decided that I, I don't want anyone else's uh, opinion trying to influence uh, either way so mm -hmm. I I think for me uh, it was it was a person it was a personal crisis it wasn't it wasn't death but it was just a, a personal crisis that, that I went through that forced me to forced me to question whether my faith was the best thing for me was was uh, if my faith was causing me uh, certain issues mm -hmm. and so um, yeah how, how can I put it so I just quietly questioned and I think a little bit similar to you in that well look if God has given us rational faculties and if God is honest and God is loving then God can't blame me for being honest right you know it can't like how how can you have a loving God who gets upset with you? for being honest, for honestly following where the evidence honestly leads. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I eventually realized that I was living someone else's faith. And so right. I, I decided myself, well, look, if I'm going to, 
if I'm going to love God and worship God and serve God, it has to be my faith. I have to know this for myself. I have to be able to prove it so that when I make decisions by it, I'm not just doing it because it's wishful thinking. I'm doing it because there is a God in heaven who loves me and who wants the best for me and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I then, for me, I exposed myself to the atheist literature that I'd been denying myself for years and years and years and years. And, yeah, I kind of realised that. I think one of the things I realised was that when atheists when atheists answer questions, they're a lot more honest uh, about, about the answers they give. If they don't know, they, they don't know. If they're unsure about something they'll go look we're, we're not too sure but this seems to be the this seems to be the right track at the moment whereas in religion it is definitely yes no no question about it we mm-hmm. we know everything this is the answer don't you dare question it right was the and and if you do question it it's because oh you have the wrong assumptions oh you have the wrong worldview oh you have um or if you get to the, the super spiritual side it's because the devil is uh, tempting you. It's because you're secretly an agent of Satan. It's because, and look, I, I heard all that stuff, and I go, well, look, okay, how is Satan influencing me? He's talking to you. Um, I've never heard Satan talk to. Me. I don't know what a Satan is. I don't know. What, I don't know what a deity is. So if you can tell me, if you can give me the mechanism of how this works, I can investigate it. But don't just don't just go. Oh, the devil's talking to you. That's why you hate God. I don't hate God. I just don't believe he exists. Right. And then that's the thing. And so for me, yeah, I spent uh, probably between personally deciding I was an atheist and then telling the people in my church that I was an atheist, it took about three about three years. Mm. And it's brave of you. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. I don't know and how you felt about it, but I, I, was um, a little, I was a little bit nervous. And like, not everyone, uh, like, not everyone knows. And so, like, because, well, because of lockdown, I haven't had to go to church for, <laughs> for a couple of years anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, there are some people. Uh, so the the pastors, well, basically, the, the leadership actually took it really, really well. Um, like, I, I don't want to derail your story. I'll finish. I'll finish. I'll finish up my story here. But sure. basically, when I um, when I came out as an atheist, um, I was serving in three different ministries in in the church, because the church I was in is like very community focused. Like they do a lot of uh, out like, like um, food, charity food banks and uh, mm-hmm. refugee support groups and all that kind of stuff. So they're very um, yeah they're, they're very community minded, and that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't. I decided not to be one of these asshole atheists was because you know, these guys are actually genuine down to earth people who are helping the community. I'm not going to, I'm not going to piss piss on the bed because of, right. because of a theological difference. And so I helped them out because there, there were some areas where they needed people to help out. And so hey, look, I'll put my hand up and help you guys out. You know, I love you guys um, as as people. And so yeah, when I when I came out, they were more glad that. I'm coming along and helping, and I think they actually said, "Look, Damien, you have a great heart for people. You know, you you enjoy helping and serving out, and you do a good job. You know, if if you're happy to stay here, we're happy to have you." And I thought that was one of the best one of the best responses I could I could have gotten. That's great. I'm From, really happy that they were so understanding. Oh, uh, indeed, but indeed. I, yeah, I'm a coward, so I oh. <laughs> wouldn't. I didn't want to tell my family, and I still have not come right out and said it to any of my siblings. And they're all, oh. they're all aging, yep. but they they know. I'm sure they know because they, they see. Picked it up. They yeah, they've picked it up over the years, and they but they've never asked me about it. They've never confronted me. Okay. And I think that's that's good. I mean that that okay. shows to me that they respect. They respect it. They respect me as a person to not confront me because I th- I think they know me well enough that if I were confronted, I would be it would be very awkward. It would yep. be a very awkward yep. exchange, and I wouldn't want to. I think now I'm after a few years of study of mm-hmm. um, you know religions and 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 all of the stuff that goes along with atheism versus theism. Uh, I've studied enough where I actually am confident in a debate now, but that didn't happen until very, very recently. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm confident in a debate now, but I wasn't even last year. Really? I, I was still studying a lot, 
but I was I don't think I would I would have I would have crumbled under the pressure of anybody asking me. Okay, fair enough. But now it's just a it's a matter of now I have the confidence to do it. Not I think good, not good stuff. But I've and never tried was, it out. <laughs> well, um, if you if you hang around on Twitter long enough, I'm sure you will have plenty oh, yeah. of opportunity to find out. Which leads me to ask about the feasibility project. Um, that looks yeah. uh, pretty pretty cool. Like, how far along is it? Do you have a website? Do you have a, Is it just a Twitter account at the moment? Is there? A, a yeah, YouTube it's just channel? social media. Yeah, it's a social media account at the moment. I have yep. the, the profiles on Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, and it's a page on Facebook. Yeah, and then. Um, I have uh, Instagram as well, and also a YouTube channel. And okay. I'm trying to make narrated videos okay. uh, oh. where I th- I try to take information, can compile it that I've uh, stuff that I've learned, and put a fresh perspective and spin on it mm-hmm. with the feasibility language, and try to uh, teach people to do critical thinking. It has all. It kind of falls along the lines of. I advocate for critical thinking, skepticism, uh, using your brain, using research, yep. evidence, strong evidence. And I, you know, um, follow all these uh, really brilliant people in the atheist world, you know, uh, Bill Nye. Uh, yep. um, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for names right now. I'm trying to pluck them out of my brain. Yep. Uh, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yep, uh, I think R- who's Richard the Dawkins. God delusion? Um, yeah, Richard, Richard Dawkins. Dawkins. Yeah, Richard Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. Um, the work of Stephen Hawking before he died. Yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah. a whole slew I could rattle off if yeah, I just Carl, uh, Carl Sagan, thought about it. I was trying to think. Yeah, yeah Carl Sagan whole... is a real big uh, influence of mine. Yep. Yep. No, no, I get you. So in a way, it's kind of like the the, the free, uh, free thought movement. In that, yeah. you know, follow follow the evidence where it leads, but you know, we we're not doing it to slap you in the face. We tell we we're um, you know, doing it so that you can you know, follow follow the evidence where it leads. And I think this is one of the reasons that uh, debates get very dragged down is because, and I think this is a point I, I alluded to before, is that when your theology is tied to uh, your personal identity, then then yeah, it's kind of you almost can't have these discussions without it. Uh, being offensive in some in some aspect, right? And I, and I have to say that I've I've been guilty of maybe pushing too hard, maybe pushing, uh, yeah, being being a little bit snarky, being a little bit a little bit sarcastic as 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 you do sometimes. It's just one of those, uh, especially the, the the Twitter effect on, on Twitter is very easy yeah. for things to be taken taken in the wrong way. Um, well, so, yeah. yeah, always, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, with the internet in general. You can't yes. detect tone in messages. No, no, exactly. Uh, and, like emojis do yeah. help, but it's not. It's not. It's not a guaranteed. Right. Not a guaranteed uh, thing. And you don't know how militant or divisive or attacking people are mm. until you come across somebody, and then yep. they make you feel really bad, and then they take it way too personally. And theists, I think generally have that sort of mentality that they've invested so much of their life money time whatever it is yep and for you to tell them that's a waste and that they you know they tie all these good things to religion and i'm not denying that religion has good things Mm -hmm. it's got some great things but they do they do not have any right to tell me that they have moral high ground over me because they're taking concepts universal concepts that existed way before religion yeah, ever yeah. existed and yeah. they're hijacking those concepts <laughs> yeah and they they have no right doing that and i don't and yeah we don't have uh church and state melted together they are mm. divided in the u.s and you know we have a constitution and yep. things that don't subscribe to a religion but there are these groups out there these extremist groups that say we are a christian founded nation and we were definitely not yes and yep and then you have some uh just who was it? i think it was the league of the league of the south who yeah. are who are pushing for an old testament style theocracy Mm-hmm. I was thinking, holy, holy, holy crap! <laughs> a, uh, one thing I did want to uh, discuss with you briefly about before your time, before our time is up, the how much of the abuse scandals and the cover up of abuse in the Catholic Church, how much of that played uh, played a factor in your decision to 
question the faith? A great deal. I okay. didn't really know about the sex abuse, uh, sexual abuse uh, cases until later when I was an adult, but it didn't surprise me because I knew that in my community and my churches in the area that I don't, I didn't know about it. I never heard about any sex scandals or anything, but uh, it was common for uh, priests and nuns to hit children. Yes. Uh, and, and I was one of them and so were many of my classmates and to uh, psychologically abuse them as well, emotionally abuse them, um, you know, shame them into thinking, yep. you know, actually thinking for themselves and being disruptive at what they call being disruptive when you ask a question about the religion in class and they don't have a good answer for you. So they get defensive. And so we had a lot of clergy members who were teaching us that um, took it very personal when you ask questions and they would either shut you down or they'd give you some lame excuse or they would get mad at you yeah. and call you disruptive and just basically uh, shame you in front of the class for asking any questions at all. And it was not right. No, definitely not. It's just... But when, at what point, what point of your life did you realize? Hold on, this isn't how we should do things. I guess when I left high school and was yes. branching out on my own, and I always knew that I didn't like that treatment yeah. of the from the clergy. And but when I got older, I really didn't like it. And then I then I heard about the sexual abuse cases. Yep. coming out and the Catholic Church basically relocating these priests oh, and boy, shoving yes. it under yep. the rug and yep. them not being prosecuted for for their crimes and it just inf it infuriated me to no end yep. it's, it's not not just that but also like not just the fact that it didn't happen in America but it happened worldwide yeah as well so it's not just one parish uh, one, one bishop in one parish and one priest. Who got caught yeah. doing things to children? It was, it was almost a, a systematic, oh yeah, uh, you know, regime of. And of, here was the. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you. No, that's the, sorry, no, you the get, first that's thing it. that entered my mind when I heard about these cases, when I first heard about the cases, was uh, what what would you expect when you have clergy who are uh, committed to celibacy? And they have no sexual expression whatsoever. Yep. What do you think would happen when they're around young children who, you know, their brains can become very perverted into thinking, mm. you know, they have denied themselves these pleasures, these natural human pleasures. How could they not, you know, deviate and just their brains just are not working correctly, but they will never admit that. They will just keep coming back to God saying, quoting some Bible verse or something yeah, yeah. that an, uh, a church, uh, someone who, uh, an ancestor from the church leadership told them at some point that priests should be celibate. You know, they yeah. they have it somewhere in the Bible. They refer to some verse. And okay. yeah, so they're, go ahead and continue with what you're they're, saying. They're, they're spiritualizing it is the, yes. is the oh, actually, I think that's one of the, that's one of the things I, I discovered when um, when I was questioning the faith was the fact that, uh, particularly with mental health issues, uh, somewhat with physical health issues, but especially so with mental health issues, was the spiritualization of of, of the problem. And I can I can tell tell you as someone with uh, mental health issues that went undiagnosed for decades. Um, yeah, like the the people who I trusted in my fundamentalist church, uh, they had a bad habit of spiritualizing uh, things. Um, you know, they would say, "I oh, he's immature in the Lord. He needs to walk closer with the Lord." He has a. I, there was a few times when they said, "I have a spirit of rebellion." You know, because because this this church believed in uh, spirits of dominion over various. Uh, spirits that had dominion firstly over various geographical localities mm -hmm. but also spirits that influence various domains of your psyche as well 
So you could have a spirit of lust, you could have a spirit of rebellion, you could have a spirit of the Antichrist, you could have a spirit of, you know, of, um, have you ever heard of Bob Larson before? No. Okay, Bob Larson is a, he's one of these traveling fundamentalist charismatic preachers. Uh, he has these shows where he like prays for people and they manif- they, they act out and they manifest in the aisles and he's standing mm-hmm. on the microphone going, you spirit of lust, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. In his deep southern drawl, of course. You know, yeah. the, my my church took a lot of cues from that style of, style of theology and I, I just found that actually it gets a little bit more to me it gets a little bit more shameful when there was actually in in one of these churches I was in there was actually a government accredited psychologist uh, psychiatrist in in my church in my in my small group and it, to me if there was if there was ever a time that the power of God could actually do something, it would be to let this this government qualified person know to tap me on the shoulder to go get help or something. <laughs> you know, it was. It's just yeah. It's just I found that I just found that uh, spiritualizing a problem causes you to overlook the root issue and then not get the help that you need. And I think this right. is one of the one of the other great abuses of the church is that aside from what they do to. Uh, what they did to children and women, also in how they in in the advice that they gave people who they didn't know who they didn't know how to help. So, firstly, you know, people with mental health problems. Um, then, you know, people who are either homosexual or you know had uh, you know alt- alternate lifestyles is maybe what what they would call them, right? But stuff stuff like that. But now to get back to the original point, the fact it wasn't just. Uh, one priest in one parish in one city. It was, right. you know, I, I could. There's, there's a thousand horror stories uh, in Australia as well. Uh, to the point that uh, I don't know if, if the American government's gone this far, but about ten years ago, the Australian government set up what's called a royal commission, and a royal commission is a legal body that is that has like the highest legal powers possible in order to investigate uh, a, partic- a particular scope. And this this Royal Commission scope was institutional child abuse, and yeah, like this commission went on for about four years, and they had about eight, I think, about eight to ten thousand submissions from people you know who were who were abused um, in various institutions, be it religion, schools, sports clubs, uh, disabled care, stuff like that. And what they found was that the vast majority. Of people were abused by people in religious positions. Yeah, I don't and, doubt that at all. And it's um, just, one thing yeah, I wanted to mention too is that um, uh, related to the headlines we've been seeing recently and mm-hmm. the <clears throat> where they were um, they were talking about the Catholic or not the yeah the Catholic uh, Can- Canadians mm-hmm. and finding all those. Um, cases, uh, thousands of children, the, the oh, bones yes. of, yep. of children, yep. and then they were burning the Catholic churches in Canada. And then just now, more recently, we've heard about uh, cases in Germany. Now, I'm sure you've seen those headlines. I've vaguely, yes. I haven't kept across them, but I do know, I did read something about France where apparently since 1950, they've found like 200,000 children abused. But anyway, yep. keep, uh, go on, NJ, go on. Yeah, yeah that's the one. Okay. And then, but I also wanted to point out too, um, kind of calling back to the fact when you were talking about mental illness, uh, I've also been struggling with uh, anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts for most of my life. Wow. And you just wonder how many, uh, how much of that was influenced by the way that I was indoctrinated and taught to think in a way that I would, you know, give up my, my logic and my thinking uh, natural way of thinking to give myself up to uh, believing a certain thing or uh, believing a certain way and how that affects a young mind mm. because um, I used to believe certain things with, that would terrify me where I would I would actually think I would go to bed at night and close my eyes and be able to try to think about what eternity would feel like have you ever tried that when you were young <laughs> Uh, just try to just yep. kind of imagine what an eternal life would be like, and it would scare the crap out of me. 
thinking like, okay, um, how much time before I existed was there? Infinite. How much time is there after I die? Well, they tell me that it's everlasting life. So I better make sure that it's heaven, not hell, because yeah. it's infinite and there's no end. So try to think uh, what no end feels like. And then my mind kept on going and going and going and going. And I thought, okay, so millions and billions and trillions and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, years go by and I'm still around. <laughs> I'm still thinking. And how freaking boring is this? Um, if I have to worship, you know, somebody every single second of my yeah. everlasting life, uh, because I had no choice in this. I was made, I was created for this purpose. Uh, didn't seem like a very good life to me. Everlasting life that is. But, um, I also wanted to mention the point where, um, priests and the Catholic church have always, uh, believed in exorcisms as well demon possession and they still do to this day there are some priests who will go on youtube and they'll talk about like, demon possessions that exist yep. today too yep. and they have no concept of what mental illness schizophrenia would be and they believe they still believe to this day that uh, these people are demon possessed i mean it's just a tragedy yes i have just on that i have read uh there was a particular article i read by a catholic priest who also apparently knows a psychiatrist or something and he was trying to spiritualize the thing but yeah i just thought like you, know, you, you you can write your own fiction when you're telling the story mm -hmm. right and um, yeah i was yeah until you like you know you, you can say that kind of stuff but until you can prove that kind of stuff um and given the given the immense people who have been helped by modern psychiatry and psychology um yeah it's a beggar's belief that people would still spiritualize these kind of problems especially when when we gave the church the authority to tell us what to do and look how it worked out mm -hmm. exactly is the which i think might be the final word on the on the, on, on the issue so nj tell where can we find the feasibility project you can find me on twitter Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for now. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I suppose I'll ask what's, what's next, what's coming up? Uh, right now, I'm really interested in doing narrated videos. So again, um, as I was explaining before, what I do is I take, I compile really good pieces of information and curate them into uh, not a really long form, but bite-sized videos where yep. they're anywhere from five to seven minutes and try to... Uh, put my own fresh spin on it, my own thoughts, without being negative about anything. I try to be a positive atheist and promote that that side of it. And um, good stuff. Not, don't want to attack anybody for their beliefs or their non-beliefs or anything. Mm -hmm. And so the Feasibility Project is really designed to be um, a step in the right direction for positive atheism. And I hope that just people follow me and maybe we can get a, a, a larger community built up. And I want to do that through right now, just um, creating narrated videos where I want to talk about things, put them to imagery a little bit and, yep. and go from there. That sounds good. Well, NJ, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, thank you for giving me the last hour of your time. It's been fascinating to listen to your story and your, your, your unique perspective on things and your walk out of the faith. So, NJ, with this, good, goodbye and good luck. Thank you so much, Damien. I really appreciate the talk. You're more than welcome. See you later. Okay. Bye.